Welcome to the ASJ podcast. I'm Mohamed Al Ghul, plastic surgeon in private practice in Amman, Jordan, and an adjunct assistant professor in the Division of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine. I'll be reading our most recent publication in the Aesthetic Surgery Journal in the May issue of 2021, entitled Current Upper Blepharoplasty and Ptosis Management Practice Patterns Among the Aesthetic Society Members. I'd like first to thank my co-authors, Dr. Albert Vaca, uh, Chief Resident of Plastic Surgery at Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine, and Jonathan Bricker, a fourth-year medical student at uh, Magao Medical Center of Northwestern University. I'll start by reading the abstract. <clears throat> Background. Patients presenting for upper blepharoplasty can exhibit different aging patterns, and we have anecdotally observed wide variability in upper blepharoplasty approaches among surgeons. However, upper blepharoplasty practice patterns have not been systematically analyzed among members of the aesthetic society. Objectives. The aim of the study was to report upper blepharoplasty practice patterns, the recognition of different patient presenting features, and to assess the incidence and management of ptosis as reported by members of the aesthetic society. Methods. A 29-item electronic questionnaire was distributed to 1,729 aesthetic society members with available email addresses. Results. In total, 214 Aesthetic Society members submitted the questionnaire for a response rate of 12.4%. There was a significantly increased rate of volume preservation among surgeons with greater experience, more than 10 years in practice, and high volume, more than 100 cases in the past 12 months of upper blepharoplasty cases. Furthermore, high volume upper blepharoplasty surgeons were significantly more likely to perform concomitant upper lid fat grafting, brow lift, and ptosis repair. 95% of respondents reported a mild to moderate ptosis, incidence of less than 25%. Among surgeons who performed ptosis repair, 97.4% utilized levator advancement or plication as their most commonly used technique. Conclusions. High-volume upper blepharoplasty surgeons are more likely to preserve upper lid volume and perform concomitant brow lift and ptosis repair. Our data suggests that different upper eyelid aging patterns and mild to moderate ptosis are under-recognized. And now to the manuscript, starting with the introduction. The eyes are the window to your soul and age. Periorbital aging changes profoundly affect the perception of an individual's age. According to the Aesthetic Society 2019 statistics, blepharoplasty is the fifth most commonly performed surgical aesthetic procedure and the most common aesthetic surgical intervention among patients aged 65 years and older. Upper lid aging is characterized by dermatocalasis, volumetric changes, upper lid arc aberrations, and bony orbit resorption. Additionally, the size of the palpebral aperture diminishes with time, which can be compounded by varying degrees of upper lid ptosis. Historically, upper blepharoplasty has been an excisional procedure addressing excess skin, fat, and redundant muscle. Several publications, however, introduced novel approaches to conceptually redirect the procedure towards volume preservation. 
In an attempt to improve our understanding of the procedure's objectives, our team previously identified aesthetically appealing upper eyelid topographic proportions in females. Our findings not only emphasize the unique ratios of the upper lid fold to pretarsal space, but also revealed the important relation between the upper lid arcs. The three upper lid arcs in attractive eyes were defined as the lid margin, upper lid crease, and brow. Achieving excellent and consistent aesthetic outcomes in upper blepharoplasty is challenging. Several maneuvers may be necessary, all of which are reliant on correctly diagnosing the underlying aging pathology. Only then can the individually tailored preoperative plan be made and artistically executed. Aesthetic optimization requires a harmonious relationship between the upper lid arcs. Controlling upper lid fold skin tension across the upper lid and addressing the temporal brow if necessary is required for a smooth upper lid crease and to reveal the desired amount of pretarsal show. However, if ptosis is present and not corrected, achieving proper skin tension at the upper lid fold may occur at the expense of excessive pretarsal show and an iatrogenically hided crease. Additionally, adding and subtracting volume to sculpt the surface of the brow and upper lid fold are essential to artistically create an attractive contour, therefore making modern upper lid surgery more complex than conventional reductive upper blepharoplasty. We have recently applied our ideal proportions findings to critically analyze a cohort of 316 upper blepharoplasty patients performed in our institution at Northwestern. Three presenting features were identified related to the pretarsal space. No show, meaning that the pretarsal space is not visible on frontal view. Partial show, meaning that the pretarsal space was partially visible, and complete show where the pretarsal space is completely visible, suggesting different aging patterns. To our surprise, 59% of patients preoperatively presented with complete pretarsal show. These patients had a significantly increased incidence of no improvement or worse aesthetic outcomes after conventional upper blepharoplasty. Furthermore, it became apparent that mild to moderate ptosis, which we defined as an MRD1 of 2 to less than 4 millimeters, could be in part responsible for complete pretarsal show. Mild to moderate ptosis, however, can be subtle and easily missed during consultation. The key is to maintain a high level of suspicion, particularly in patients with complete pretarsal show. In these patients, phenylephrine testing and close inspection of standardized preoperative photographs is critical. Furthermore, patients with complete pretarsal show potentially benefit the most from volume conservation and enhancement with fat grafting. Our findings emphasized the need to better understand the different aging patterns of the upper lid to improve surgical planning. There are several described approaches and maneuvers for upper lid rejuvenation, which is reflected by our observation of significant variability in surgical approaches among surgeons. However, Variability in upper eyelid rejuvenation interventions among plastic surgeons have not been systematically analyzed. The aim of this study was to report upper blepharoplasty practice patterns, the recognition of different patient-presenting features, and to assess the reported incidence and management of ptosis among members of the aesthetic society. Materials and methods. 
A 29-item anonymous questionnaire was reviewed and electronically distributed by the Aesthetic Society to its 1,729 members with available email addresses. The survey remained available from November 13, 2019 to January 3, 2020. Results were tabulated in Microsoft Excel. Respondents were permitted to skip questions and select more than one answer choice for several questions. Skipped questions were excluded from total answer counts for each individual questions. Percentages were calculated by taking the total number of respondents of each question as the, as the denominator. Statistical analysis was performed with SPSS software from IBM. A two-tailed Fisher's exact test was used to evaluate the, correct, the correlation between answer choices to different questions. A p-value of less than 0.05 was considered statistically significant. Margin of error calculation was performed with an alpha of 0.05, i.e. 95% confidence interval, to assess if survey participants' responses reflected that of the population. This study did not require institutional review board approval because it was a survey. Results. A total, of two, uh, a total of 214 Aesthetic Society members submitted the questionnaire, a response rate of 12.4%. Respondent characteristics were shown in Table 1. In summary, 91% of respondents had been in practice for more than 10 years. 86% of respondents practiced in the United States or Canada, and 62% of respondents reported to have performed between 11 and 50 upper blepharoplasty procedures in the past 12 months. The overall margin of error for the survey responses accurately representing the 1,729 Aesthetic Society members' upper blepharoplasty practice pattern was 3.1% at a 95% confidence interval. Skin management and incision planning. 81% of respondents reported utilizing a skin pinch technique to determine how much skin to remove. Regarding the lateral most extent of the upper blepharoplasty incision, 35.9% routinely extended the incision past the lateral orbital rim, whereas 20.6% and 43.5% routinely limit the lateral extent of the incision to the medial or lateral edge of the lateral orbital rim, respectively. Compared with less experienced surgeons, those in practice more than 20 years were significantly less likely to measure how much skin remains between the brow and the upper incision line, 58% versus 77% respectively with a p-value of 0.02. After uh, dichotomizing surgeons into those who routinely extend the upper blepharoplasty incision past the lateral orbital rim and those who do not, there was no difference in the reported concomitant brow lift practices between groups, p-value equal 1.0. Orbital fat and orbicularis oculi muscle management. 10% of respondents stated their most common upper blepharoplasty technique consisted of skin excision only, with preservation of the orbicularis muscle and orbital fat. 14.1% muscle excision without orbital fat manipulation. 12.7% 
muscle excision with orbital fat manipulation, and 18.4% muscle preservation with orbital fat manipulation. Most commonly, however, 44.8% of respondents reported performing a combination of skin, muscle, and orbital fat manipulation depending on the patient's presenting features. Brow lift. Nearly 20% of respondents do not concomitantly perform brow lifting with upper blepharoplasty. 68% of respondents perform concomitant brow lift in 1% to 25% of upper blepharoplasty patients, whereas 3.3% perform brow lift in more than 50% of patients. The most common reported brow lift technique included endoscopic full brow lift in 27.7%, and subcutaneous temporal brow lift in 25.3%. Interestingly, surgeons who had performed more than 100 upper blepharoplasties in the prior 12 months were significantly more likely to perform concomitant brow lift, p-value of 0.02. Ptosis. Surgeons reported variations in the preoperative prevalence of mild to moderate ptosis, which we defined as an MRD1 of 2 to less than 4 millimeters, and severe ptosis, which we defined as an MRD1 of less than 2 millimeters. Only 6.1% of surgeons reported the use of preoperative phenylephrine testing. 57% of respondents performed blepharoptosis repair with Levator advancement overwhelmingly, the most common reported technique in 97.4%. Interestingly, surgeons who performed phenylephrine testing were significantly more likely to use a posterior approach for ptosis repair, i.e. mulerectomy, p-value 0.02. However, only three respondents used the posterior approach as their most common technique, increasing the possibility of a type 1 error. All surgeons who do not perform ptosis repair stated they referred patients with blepharoptosis to an ophthalmologist. For patients with preoperatively diagnosed mild to moderate ptosis, however, 40.9% of surgeons reported performing ptosis repair at the time of upper blepharoplasty, and 6.3% reported performing ptosis repair in this group only when patients complained of ptosis. Almost 53% either did not address ptosis at the time of upper blepharoplasty or referred the patient to an oculoplastic surgeon. Surgeons who reported a preoperative mild to moderate ptosis incidence of more than 10% were significantly more likely to perform ptosis repair. And that was 71.3% versus 44% with a p-value of 0.001. Fat grafting. 48% of respondents do not perform fat grafting to the brow or upper eyelid. 34% of respondents perform fat grafting in 1 to 10% of patients, and 10.3% perform fat grafting in 11 to 25% of patients. Of surgeons who fat graft the upper periorbital area, 43.4% fat graft only the brow in the retroorbicularis oculi fat compartment with the roof. 39.3% fat graft only the upper lid fold or sulcus, and 16.8% fat graft both these areas. In surgeons who perform fat grafting to the upper lid and or brow, 
35% perform fat grafting before and 43% perform fat grafting after skin closure. 18% perform fat grafting after upper blepharoplasty as a separate staged procedure. Surgeon who had performed more than 50 and more than 100 upper blepharoplasty cases in the past 12 months were significantly more likely to perform fat grafting p-value 0.002 and 0.001 respectively. Preoperative complete pretarsal show incidence and management. 63% of respondents reported that complete pretarsal show was present in less than or equal to 10% of their patients. Regarding technique modifications in this patient population, 57.3% decreased the amount of skin resection, while 40% removed less or no orbital fat. 23.4% performed more fat grafting to the upper eyelid fold, and 19% placed the incision caudal to the native eyelid crease, i.e. lower the eyelid crease. 20.7% are more likely to perform concomitant ptosis repair. 16% of respondents do not change their technique in this patient population, and five respondents, 2.4%, free texted answers that in this patient population, they would not operate. And that was a total of two respondents. Or they would reconstruct the upper lid crease in um, uh, three respondents. Surgeons who reported performing more than 100 upper blepharoplasties in the past 12 months were significantly more likely to fat graft the upper lid fold, p-value of 0.03, preserve more orbital fat, p-value of 0.04, and preserve orbicularis muscle p-value of 0.04 and perform concomitant ptosis repair p-value of 0.01. Preoperative absence of pretarsal show, i.e. pseudotosis, reported incidence and management. Preoperative obliteration of the pretarsal space was commonly reported with 48.1% of respondents reporting its presence in more than 50% of their upper blepharoplasty patient population. Regarding technique modifications, 56.5% remove more skin and 21.5% remove more orbicularis muscle compared with their technique in patients without pseudotosis. 24% remove more fat, whereas 10.6% remove less fat. Seven respondents, um, comprising 3.3% free-texted responses, in this patient population, they modify their approach by concomitantly performing brow lift or brow pexy. Skin resurfacing. 40% of respondents do not perform upper eyelid skin resurfacing. Among practitioners who do skin resurfacing, fractionated laser was most common in 52.3%, followed by unfractionated laser in 24.4%, and chemical peel in 23.3%. Regarding the timing of skin resurfacing, 50.6% performed resurfacing as a staged procedure after blepharoplasty, whereas 41.1% performed skin resurfacing concomitantly. Surgeons who had performed more than 100 upper blepharoplasty cases in the past 12 months and surgeons from the United States and Canada were significantly more likely to perform eyelid skin resurfacing with a p-value of 0.001 and 0.008 respectively. Interestingly, 
Surgeons from Latin America and the Caribbean were significantly more likely to use chemical peeling as their resurfacing modality of choice, p-value of 0.018. Practice pattern modification among surgeons in practice more than or equal to 10 years. Survey responses among surgeons in practice more than or equal to 10 years reflects the trend towards volumetric preservation seen in more recent upper blepharoplasty publications. Among the respondents, 73%, 40.4%, and 16.1% reported preserving more orbital fat, orbicularis muscle, or upper lid skin, respectively. Furthermore, surgeons in practice more than 20 years compared with surgeons in practice more than 10, but less than 20 years, were significantly more likely to preserve more orbital fat, 73% versus 50% respectively, p-value of 0.002, and perform more eyelid skin resurfacing, 25% versus 12% respectively, p-value of 0.04. 22% of respondents report performing more upper eyelid and brow fat grafting compared with their earlier technique. Interestingly, a nearly equal number of respondents reported performing concomitant brow lifting more, 19.2%, and less, 20.2% commonly. 21% of respondents performed more ptosis repair compared with earlier in their career versus 1.6% who report performing less ptosis repair. Discussion. To our knowledge, this is the first study assessing upper blepharoplasty practice patterns among plastic surgeons. We demonstrate a tendency towards tissue preservation as only 27% of the aesthetic society members routinely excise muscle and 31% routinely manipulate orbital fat. More importantly, nearly 45% performed a combination of procedures depending on the patient's presenting features. This flexibility in applying various techniques to address specific anatomic features may reflect a better understanding of periorbital aesthetics. Another indicator that plastic surgeons are recognizing the importance of volume is the high number of surgeons who report use of fat grafting, albeit in a small percentage of patients. However, there seems to be an under-recognition of the different upper lid aging patterns and the significance of pretarsal show. The majority of respondents reported that less than 10% of upper blepharoplasty patients present with complete pretarsal show, which according to our data is the most common presenting aging pattern. Under-recognition of the different upper lid aging patterns could potentially have adverse cosmetic outcomes as was reported in our series. The reported incidence of ptosis among respondents likely underestimates the actual ptosis incidence. The Aesthetic Society survey respondents who reported a higher preoperative incidence of mild to moderate ptosis were also more likely to perform ptosis repair, p-value of 0.001. Furthermore, on preoperative photographic analysis of 316 patients, mean age of 55 years, who presented for primary upper blepharoplasty at Northwestern Memorial Hospital, 69% had an MRD1 of less than 4 millimeters, 31% less than 3 millimeters, and 5.7% less than 2 millimeters. In a longitudinal periorbital aging study of 21 patients by Gayuran et al., 90.5% of patients exhibited mild to moderate ptosis at follow-up, mean age 57 years. Notably, all patients who developed ptosis were observed to have concomitantly developed relative enophthalmos. 
indicating that mild to moderate ptosis is very common and suggesting that mild to moderate ptosis may be at least in part a consequence of loss of tension on the upper lid structures due to aging-related volumetric orbital changes. In contrast, among survey respondents in this present study, only 8.1% reported a mild to moderate preoperative ptosis incidence of more than 25%. Strongly supporting our aforementioned suspicion about the discordance between the actual versus reported ptosis incidence. Interestingly, for patients preoperatively diagnosed with mild to moderate ptosis, 17.8% of respondents stated they often perform upper blepharoplasty without ptosis repair, further indicating that ptosis is commonly not treated even when preoperatively diagnosed. However, it is possible that those who do not perform ptosis repair with upper blepharoplasty are referring the patient to an ophthalmologist for ptosis repair afterwards. Only studies in the ophthalmology literature have previously investigated upper blepharoplasty and ptosis practice patterns. In a 2016 survey of the British Oculoplastic Surgery Society on ptosis management, 76% of surgeons most commonly use levator advancement for ptosis repair, and 40% routinely use preoperative phenylephrine testing. In contrast, among the aesthetic society members who perform ptosis repair, 97.4% use levator advancement as their most common technique, and only 10.9% of these surgeons report some form of preoperative phenylephrine testing. Differences in practice patterns among plastic surgeons and oculoplastic surgeons are likely secondary to differences in training. Unfortunately, we did not ask which the aesthetic society members completed separate oculoplastic fellowship training. Potterman and Gayuron have published extensively on the value of preoperative phenylephrine testing to detect subtle ptosis and simulate the effect of conjunctiva mullerectomy. Furthermore, they have advocated for expanded indications of conjunctiva mullerectomy due to improved and more predictable aesthetics. Interestingly, in our study, surgeons who performed phenylephrine testing were more likely to perform mullerectomy-based ptosis repair. We suspect this is a consequence of training and familiarity. Although levator advancement can be highly effective in certain hands, ptosis repair via levator advancement is known to have surgical revision rates as high as 35%. In a retrospective study comparing levator advancement and conjunctiva mullerectomy, the reported incidence of lit contour abnormalities 20% versus 0% respectively, p-value of 0.01, and overcorrection 13% versus 0% respectively, p-value of 0.04 significantly favor conjunctiva mullerectomy. Furthermore, a prospective randomized trial comparing levator advancement and mullerectomy demonstrated improved cosmetic outcomes and elevator reoperation rates with mullerectomy. It is our observation that true levator dehiscence is less common. The senior author, MSA, primarily uses conjunctiva mullerectomy for ptosis repair as he finds the results predictable and producing a more harmonious lid crease, reserving levator advancement only for true tarsal levator dehiscence with minimal response to phenylephrine simulation. In our experience, the management of patients with complete pretarsal show is particularly challenging. This was our initial impetus for conducting this present study. Interestingly, two survey participants, free text, responded that they would not perform upper blepharoplasty in this patient population. 
We have found mild to moderate ptosis to be exceedingly common in these patients, and ptosis diagnosis often missed during initial consultation, making phenylephrine testing and close inspection of preoperative photographs even more critical for operative planning. In addition to mild to moderate ptosis, we have noticed that these patients often present with subtle compensatory frontalis strain, hollowing of the upper lid sulcus, and a deflated appearance of the lateral upper lid fold. In patients with complete pretarsal show, traditional brephoplasty without ptosis repair risks a paradoxically aged and gaunt appearance by further accentuating excess pretarsal show and upper lid fold hollowing by elevating the upper lid crease location and failing to counteract compensatory frontalis strain. The apparent skin, the apparent skin excess is mostly relative to volume loss and ptosis and tends to be minimal. We believe this is due to a combination of aging-related volumetric deflation, which when combined with mild to moderate ptosis and frontalis strain results in a loss of upper lid, fold convexity, and youthful aesthetic, resulting in window shading of the upper lid fold over the superior border of the tarsus. This is not to be confused with lateral hooding, i.e. excess window shading, which is a different upper lid aging pattern and is associated with brow ptosis and obliteration of the pretarsal space. Traditional excisional blepharoplasty techniques do play a role in the management of this aging pattern and can be combined with brow lifting and lateral suspension of the orbicularis to the arcus marginalis as indicated per the patient's preoperative evaluation. In patients with complete pretarsal show, youthful, restora youthful restoration of the upper lid fold convexity, apparent lid crease curvature, and aesthetic upper lid fold to pretarsal show ratios requires a thoughtful approach because traditional blepharoplasty techniques, although well-intended, risk a poor aesthetic outcome. In the author's experience, these patients are best aesthetically managed by a posterior approach, ptosis correction, minimal, minimal skin excision, and volumetric addition. Conjunctivomularectomy cephalically restores the tarsal plate to a more youthful position and reliably recreates an aesthetic smooth upper lid, upper eyelid crease curvature. Tailored volumetric preservation and volume addition via preceptal upper lid fold and retroorbicularis oculi fat grafting, if indicated, helps achieve further upper lid fold contour restoration. These maneuvers restore convexity of the upper lid fold and the apparent lid crease location, resulting in less pretarsal show, which is aesthetically advantageous. Many approaches for upper lid rejuvenation have been described, with several publications advocating various forms of volume preservation and augmentation. In this present study, survey respondents with more than or equal to 10 years in practice reported modifications in their upper blepharoplasty approach, including more orbital fat, 73.1%, orbicularis muscle, 40.4%, and skin, 16.6% preservation, compared with earlier in their practice. Furthermore, surgeons with even greater numbers of years in practice, more than 20 years, reported an even higher likelihood of upper lid volume preservation. In a 2018 survey of American Society of Ophthalmic Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery members, 33% of surgeons performed adjunctive fat grafting, with 81% of these doing so in 1 to 20% of cases. In comparison, 51.6% of Aesthetic Society members in our study report performing adjunctive fat grafting, with 84% of these doing so in 1 to 25% of cases. 
showing a slightly higher prevalence of fat grafting among aesthetic society members compared to the um, um, uh, American Society of Ophthalmic, Plastic, and Reconstructive Surgery members. Further improvement in aesthetic outcomes have resulted from fat grafting and correction of upper lid and brow ptosis in the appropriately selected patients. Interestingly, however, among survey respondents with more than or equal 10 years of experience, a nearly equal proportion of aesthetic society members report performing more and less concomitant brow lifting procedures. However, more years in practice is not necessarily synonymous with a high volume of upper blepharoplasty cases. When looking at the high volume upper blepharoplasty surgeons, more than 100 cases prior 12 months, they further modified their approach and were significantly more likely to perform concomitant brow lift, preserve upper lid volume, perform fat grafting, and perform ptosis repair. However, it is possible that this is that uh, this observed difference is due to a type 1 error, as only 10 of 214 survey respondents reported performing more than 100 cases in the past 12 months. We hypothesize, however, that high-volume upper blepharoplasty surgeons may be more attuned to subtle nuances of periorbital aesthetics, resulting in technique modifications to achieve better aesthetic results. Although not specifically included in our survey, we anticipate that revision rates are likely lower among experienced surgeons. The senior author in this paper, MSA, improved his preoperative analysis and uh, re um, resulting uh, operative planning, particularly with a higher index of suspicion for mild to moderate ptosis and diagnosing excess pretarsal show, which has led him to modify his operative approach, improve aesthetic outcomes, and decrease his revision rate. This study is not without limitations. Our collected data may not accurately uh, represent the practice patterns of 1,729 available aesthetic society members. However, margin of error calculations was plus minus 3.1% at a 95% confidence interval, strongly suggesting that our sample population of 214 respondents accurately represents the overall population. Type 1 error is also possible because there were a low number of respondents for certain answer choices. We acknowledge the possibility of response bias, where survey participants' answer choices may be influenced by question wording and restricted answer choices. Unfortunately, this is a limitation of all surveys. For example, uh, for technique modifications in patients with pseudotosis, three participants, free text, responded that they perform brow lift more commonly in these patients because we did not include brow lift as an answer choice for that question. Furthermore, it is possible that survey participants' answer choices that do not accurately reflect the individual surgeon's practice patterns due to recall and uh, response bias. Conclusions. We present upper blepharoplasty practice patterns among members of the aesthetic society. It is likely that preoperative complete pretarsal show and mild to moderate ptosis is under-recognized and possibly mismanaged. There is a significant positive association with higher upper blepharoplasty case volume and an increased incidence of volume preservation, volume addition, brow lift, and ptosis repair. There are variations in surgeon reported approaches to patients with different upper eyelid aging patterns. Among surgeons who perform ptosis repair, levator advancement is overwhelmingly the most commonly used technique.